The thing about having a marginalized identity is it wastes your time. And what I mean by that is things take longer. You have to um, think about nuances that other folks don't necessarily consider. And so my advice for women is to consider those things, but don't let them be at the front of your mind. Because if they are at the front of your mind, they are going to slow you down. They are going to create even more anxiety. Keeping how people view you front and center of your mind is allocating way too much power to a bunch of folks you don't even know. Welcome to the Ladies Who Lead podcast. This is a community of women supporting women. Tune in every other Thursday to hear from SK Vaughn as she catches up with ordinary ladies doing extraordinary things. We will cover topics like diversity and inclusion, gender pay gap, thought leadership, and respect in the workplace. We want to celebrate with you and hear stories of success and hard lessons learned. Whether you are a lady who leads in the boardroom or a lady who leads in your community, this is the place for you. Let's do this. Kelly Clark is the CEO of AppThink, an idea accelerator and community of builders that helps new founders turn audacious ideas into audacious execution and determine if their ideas for a tech or tech-enabled venture are worth the pursuit. Aspiring founders learn how to build things quickly and expensively and how to turn a good idea into a great product. Kelly is a two-time graduate of Auburn University. She earned her Bachelor of Arts in Political Science and a Master's of Public Administration with a concentration in Economic Development. As an AmeriCorps alumna, she has an affinity for community service and currently gives her time and talent to various nonprofit organizations in the Southeast. Kelly spends her free time engaging in outdoor sports and serving as the Southeast Regional Leader for Outdoor Afro, a national organization with the expressed mission to celebrate and inspire African-American connections and leadership in nature. She serves as board chair for Urban Community Montessori and serves on the boards of Ruffner Mountain, Cahaba River Society, and as an advisory member for Birmingham Black Techies. When she's not encouraging first-time founders to validate and build, you can find her leading kayak adventures on the Coosa River, being an audiophile of seasick records, or road tripping with her husband and their two small children. You're going to absolutely love hearing from Kelly. Go ahead and grab a piece of paper and a pen quickly because it is just that good. So welcome Kelly to the podcast. This is one you're going to absolutely love. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you for the invitation. Of course. Well, every episode, I always kick us off with how are you surviving and thriving this week? And so while you're thinking through that, I will start. And so how am I surviving? Ooh, loaded question. <laughs> I think I'm just, you know, surviving in this season. We're down for people right now and just for different reasons. And so just trying to grab whatever I can and keep it moving and keep it uh, working and hustling. And so that's been really fun on the work side of things and also just leading through a lot of change. How am I thriving? I think this weekend was absolutely beautiful. I mean, 
It was just stunning. And I actually spent some time, believe it or not, in the yard with my husband. And we have our house here in Mobile that we're very proud of. We've poured some love into it. She's come a long way. And so we just spent like part of our, most of our Sunday, just really enjoying being and moving and sweating. And that sounds silly, but sometimes you just really need mindless work just to kind of fill your day and to get your body moving. And so that was just so rejuvenating to me and it kind of kicked off a really great start to my week. So that's how I'm thriving. What about you, Kelly? I love that. Um, Oh, surviving. Um, I think the ways in which I'm surviving is just sleep. Um, I don't get enough of it. Never have. <laughs> it's just, I, I was that baby who just would not go to sleep and I'm trying to up my sleep hygiene. Oh, and also we're having a bunch of work done on our house, SK. So um, my house is a is an absolute wreck. So like navigating that and working from home and having hammers and, and floors pulled up and all of that jazz. That's definitely, um, I'm on the struggle bus and surviving that. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as thriving, you know, I had a really, really good weekend with some friends. We went on a girl's trip this weekend and we hadn't all got together in a while. And it was just so good. It was just, just so good to be around women that I have known for over a decade and just talk and laugh and be in a completely new city and just be our, you know, act like we're in our 20s again. So I had a really, really good weekend. Yes, I love that. So fun. I love a good girls trip. Where did y'all go? Love a good girl's trip. So we just hopped over to New Orleans for a, a friend's um, bachelorette party. She's getting married. And so shout out to Waikisha Hazard, Esquire. Uh, but no, it was a really good time. We we ate good food. We had good drinks. We dilly-dallied uh, on Magazine Street and went, you know, listened to some music. It was just a really, really good time. I got to be my full Sagittarian self. So it was fun. <laughs> I'm here for it. I love a good New Orleans trip. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, let's jump into it. So tell us a little bit more about yourself and just kind of your journey to becoming a CEO of uh, AppThink. Yeah. Yeah. So I am born and raised uh, in Birmingham, um, Alabama, went to Auburn for undergrad and graduate school, War Eagle. I come from a family of folks who work in the medical profession. So my mom is a nurse, my dad is a respiratory therapist, and just kind of always grew up in that world. And I just knew SK, I was going to be a doctor. Like that was, that was just what I wanted to do. Um, Specifically, I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. And I wanted to specialize in hands. So I had this whole plan. I was going to major in biomedical engineering, uh, which I did, and then quickly changed my major because I could not pass organic chemistry. And so there was this summer where I was just trying to figure out what I was going to do because I bet I'll put all my eggs in this one basket. And I took a family and social policy class on a whim, and I'll never forget it. I did a I created a, the assignment was to do a project narrative on, you know, a policy of your choice. And so um, at the time I was also a women's studies minor. Um, and so we're just really interested in gender issues. And so I wrote a policy analysis on VAWA. So the Violence Against Women Act. And I don't know, it was just, it was just something about realizing that there's alternative paths to helping people. 
and also learning about ways that you can impact change systemically, right? Not just through, you know, your interactions with an individual or your interactions with the patient, um, but just systemically through policy. And so then I just got really fascinated with policy and how policy impacts communities. And so um, then that kind of started my journey on, you know, more in the political science, economic development realm. And with economic development, you know, at the time, it was very much about, you know, let's get a plot of land and convince someone to put a manufacturing plan on it. And I started to get really interested in asset-based economic development, where you look at a community and you see what's there and how you can really lean into the upside of the community, whether it's the people, whether it's the green space, all these different things. And so that kind of, that kind of change the direction from medicine to this more economic development, community development path. And, you know, long story short, I spent the first half of my career in um, nonprofits. Um, and I ended up working the first type of economic development role I had, and I deeply considered it economic development, was um, with a small organization called Leading Edge Institute, where we would train college-age women for to be prepared to run for office. And um, then it just, it just kept going. There was like this common thread of economic development, but leveraging the people in the community and their skill set to create systemic change. Um, long story short, I moved away from Birmingham, um, had a baby, came back in 2015 and started working with an organization called Innovate Birmingham, um, where we would train adult learners and uh, full stack web development and connect them to employers uh, in the tech industry. And so I did that for a while. And then I moved over to Innovation Depot, where I had the chance to manage um, their accelerator there. And I always was fascinated with entrepreneurship, right? Um, I had some hot side hustles in college. Um, I had some side hustles in middle school. And I was really big on wanting to learn how to build a revenue generating company. And that was part of the reason I took the role at Innovation Depot. And then one day I was sitting in my office and got a knock at my door for the opportunity to be the CEO of AppThink. And I took it um, because there's just one, I mean, there is no better education in how to run a business than actually running a business. You just learn things that an MBA just cannot teach you, just being thrown in there. Two, I would, you know, get to receive mentorship with Shagan Atalana. And three, just work with really, really smart people. And so I made that leap as a CEO of AppThink, and here we are. I love yeah. that. So it's jam-packed full of just different turns and twists, and I think that's important because you can have a plan all day long, right? You can try to work the plan, but it's interesting how, you know, starting out thinking that you're going to be in the medical profession really kind of took a turn and found kind of the best parts of what you wanted to do and how you wanted to, I think, impact the world to create, like you said, systemic policies and change and work with innovators and, and look where you landed. So for those who are thinking about, am I in the right job? Am I going for the right thing? Hey, it's not a linear path and that's okay. 
No, it's not. I, I tell people all the time, you know, my path was not linear. It was not a straight line. It wasn't a ladder. It was more like a jungle gym. Right. And, um, you know, I think there's certain cohorts of people who you grow up and, you know, you have, you know, your family telling you out of, out of, you know, the best place possible of, you know, what you should do. And often, you know, you're taught doctor, um, attorney, engineer, <laughs> that is what you have. And, you know, when you're 18, that's what you're, you're thinking about doing, but, you know, as you start to grow and evolve and know thyself um, and you start to really recognize your zone of genius and then you have mentors who point out and affirm your strengths. And so then your purpose really starts to take shape and there may be a pivot and that's OK. Yeah. So I have to ask, you know, you, you're in this this role. You've been there for several months now, right? What problem does AppThink solve in the marketplace? Like, what are y'all hoping to do to kind of change the game for the tech space? Yeah, AppThink solves two problems. Um, the first is the lack of due diligence that exists for idea stage founders, right? Um, and so when you're a founder and you have an MVP, you have some traction, you'll go to an accelerator, you'll go to an investor, um, and they'll go through a due diligence process. And is at that moment, usually when you as a founder realize, oh, there were lots of things that I should have done, um, done differently. Or, you know, you'll fail due to no market need. And so one of the things that AppThinks does is we pick up the due diligence process and bring it to the earliest stages of the journey to show founders how to validate their ideas so that they don't go and build a product um, and do all this work to create something that no one wants. So for the founder, we, we're saving them time and we're saving them money. Um, for ecosystem support organizations, we partner with them. Um, and what we do, we're a plug and play option for accelerators and for incubators um, and for chambers of commerce who want to create more founders, who have a plan to not only recruit founders to their ecosystems, um, but also want to create founders out of the folks in the entrepreneurs who are already there. And so what we do, we come into the organization and we train the founders, we train your cohorts. And what that does for the accelerator or the entrepreneur support organization is they have the bandwidth, not they don't have to be trainers or teachers. Um, they have the bandwidth to curate even more resources for their founders. They have the bandwidth to create community, um, which is a huge unfair advantage for any founder. And that's having a really strong community. Um, so they get to do that work. And we also are able to collect data and offer insights into the founder journey so that they have a more quantitative data backed way to determine which founders in their orbit do they want to rally around and um, offer more resources. So that is what we do. Um, our more, most recent partnership is with Innovation Depot. So we are actually training their Voltage cohort right now. And uh, there are 17 founders in that cohort. And uh, it's been a time. It's been so fun. It's, it's really you know, myself, Trevor and Dave, Trevor Newberry and Dave Mason, who are my co-founders, it just fires us up. This is what we enjoy doing. So it's been really good to just get in the trenches with some founders and help them turn their idea into something, you know? Yeah, no, that's incredible. 
So kind of explain to our friends who may not be as involved in the startup community, kind of what is the point behind Accelerator program and kind of what are those benefits to being selected for one? Because I I know that there's a lot of effort that you have to put in to even be considered to be a part of the group, but what are kind of those benefits and people who might be interested in thinking about, I wonder if this idea has legs, you know, and kind of a, a chance to kind of jump into something bigger than themselves. Yeah, an, an accelerator is exactly what the name suggests. Um, an accelerator gives a founder, usually the, the duration depends, but you can have six weeks, you can have 13 weeks, but it is a focused amount of time where you as a founder are expected to shut out the world and give 100% energy to your company. Most accelerators will will say that they can help you in 13 weeks, make a year or a year and a half of progress in 13 weeks. Um, the best accelerators provide you with excellent mentorship, with funding um, at a fair equity rate, um, and most of all, really targeted mentorship to help you. And so those are the benefits of an accelerator. Um, the benefits of going through and completing an accelerator is it, it's a bit of a, it's like a, um, a filter, right? It, it demonstrates that one, you have the discipline to be somewhere for 13 weeks and be hit down and work on your company. Um, But it also is a signal that this founder has received some level of due diligence around their concept um, in hopes that an investor or customers or whoever will look at you and bet on you. So, yeah, that is the that's the purpose of accelerators. There are hundreds around the country. There are thousands around the world. And the Best ones have a fantastic lineup of mentors and are usually situated in really, really, really strong communities with really, um, really good ecosystems. So it's not just about the accelerator and the programming. You really want to look at where this accelerator is located. What does the community look like? Um, Who's going to be surrounding the founder as they go through this process? So Um, Yeah, accelerators can be a huge value add to founders. Um, Accelerators can also be a huge distraction. So it's really up to the founder to be honest and think about, can this accelerator help me or will going through this process be a distraction and slow me down? Yeah. And at Birmingham, Alabama specifically has been working very hard to create a space for startups. Why do you feel like there is such a need and such a push in the greater Birmingham area to create that space for the tech industry as well as startups? Yeah, I mean, the the impact that startups have economically um, is big. I mean, when you really think about it, we have a technology company um, and the average pay may be 100K for a developer starting out, right? And so all you have to do is look at the salaries that some of these companies can give um, can give you. And when you have a bunch of those salaries around, when, when you have companies who are able to um, compensate their people really well, that does a lot for the local economy. Um, not only that, but, you know, each location you want to, I believe every city has a responsibility to 
kind of put their stake in the ground and leave their mark and really define how they are going to change the world as a community, right? And so, you know, we have some communities that are known for transportation. Um, that would be Chattanooga. We have some communities that are known for just being very business friendly. So if you look at Columbus and Cincinnati, and so I think it's really important and, and, and tech really lets us know, um, I know, what's the community's identity and how how do they innovate and how do they put their flag in the ground and say, this is what we do well and this is how we contribute to the overall society overall. So if you listen to the narrative with Birmingham, we're we're leaning into a couple of different areas. We're leaning into life science um, and biotech and all of those things. And so, yeah, it's about, you know, one, really good jobs. Um, two, importing really good ideas. And three, it gives the community a chance to put a flag in the ground and, you know, state this is how we're going to contribute. Great. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what are some barriers that you typically find for female founders uh, looking to, you know, start up their their business? What are some of those barriers to entry? You know, that's a really good question, SK. And I th- there are barriers, um, obvious barriers. Um, and I think the biggest barrier, I'll say this, I think there are two. I think there are these internal barriers and external barriers. And I'll start with the internal barriers. I think that the internal barrier is, there's this fantastic book called Confidence Code. I forget who wrote it, um, but the tech industry, there are times where you just don't have all the information um, to make a decision, right? Things are moving so fast. Things can be so ambiguous. And as women, we are socialized to analyze. Um, and, And we do have a tendency to think and maybe even overthink. And I think a, a personal barrier I speak for myself is just that, just waiting to make decisions, overthinking. Um, and I'm prone to that as a woman because how I've been socialized too. So I think that's one internal barrier. External barrier, I mean, sexism. Let's keep it way real. I mean, wherever there, there are groups and congregations of men or males or whatever, there's going to be some paternalism. Um, but it's it's really important. I will say this. I don't think women should come into the tech industry believing that they have to lead like a man, right? Um, I think a woman coming into this space or some or uh, coming into this space, um, being authentically who you are and leading how you lead is very important for the tech industry, especially now. Um, because there's just so much changing. I, I don't have to talk to you about AI and chat GPT. And there's just, I feel like there's just a certain level of empathy and ethics and consideration um, that women bring to the table when it comes to tech. And when you just look at how heavily we are interacting with tech as human beings, um, and when you think about how heavily we're going to be interacting with tech, we're going to need those voices. Um, We're going to need people with marginalized identities to come to the table and really speak to um, 
what could possibly happen positively or negatively? How does this impact the broader community? How does AI impact the broader community? How does um, sticky products, aka really addictive products, affect the larger community? And so um, I, I will say that while there are barriers, it is getting better. But I would encourage any woman to hop in this industry and not necessarily, you know, you don't have to be a founder if you don't want to be a founder. Uh, we need more female founders for sure. But there are just so many ways to be a part of tech and um, quite frankly, make it more humane. And I think women are well positioned to do that. Yes, I'm glad that you touched on that. And I think that that's an interesting idea of stepping into a space and leading from a different perspective and leaning into that. So not having to like adapt your leadership style to necessarily fit the space or the room. And to me, that's really powerful. And that's also very hard to do. So yeah. in your experience, how do you feel like you have led and maybe open doors or come into a space differently from a female perspective? Yeah, I, I, okay. Prime example. Um, I'm a mom and I make it very clear that I'm probably not going to be at networking events. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably, if it's after five, I'm probably not going to show up. Has my career in some ways taken a hit for that? Absolutely. You miss out on conversations. You miss out on opportunities connect to connect. If I was single, I didn't have children. If I didn't have any other folks, any other responsibilities other than myself, it, it'd be a lot easier. It's always interesting going out with male counterparts um, or, you know, when they make plans and it's like, well, you can because you have a spouse who's, you know, watching your kids and all of this. And I have a very supportive spouse, too. But as any mother know who's listening, you are the default parent. And so um, for me personally, it's really been about congregating and building my life, quite frankly, around the things that I value. And everything else kind of falls away. And I think, too, one of the things that I used to shy away from and one of the things I'm still uh, trying to learn how to incorporate into my leadership is just uh, candor. I'm a very candid person. Um, I'm also a really empathetic person. And those aren't necessarily leadership skills that you're taught when you, you know, meet with a coach. Well, in the past it wasn't. Now it's, you know, more appropriate. But really it's just about asking yourself the question, how, what am I able to maintain? Um, sure, you can lead like a man, but I'm not a man and that's not sustainable. Um, I'm Kelly and I have certain values and I have certain ways of interacting with people. And yeah, you just really have to get to a point where you put your flag in the ground and decide what is a sustainable way of being. And you decide for you, what is that sustainable way of being and work at it a little bit every day. And when you look up, you'll be a lot farther and standing really firm in your authentic self than you were the day before. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not going to be hard because it is going to be hard. Yeah, but the thing is, there's no way there's no way to get around it being hard. There's no way to get around it being being scary, you know, and that I think that is where courage comes in. And it's my belief when it comes to women that we are a very courageous cohort of human beings. 
And so you just have to decide if you want to do that and if you want to live a sustainable life and if you want to live have a sustainable professional life then you just have to make the decision to be who you are um it's to your comfort level right and go for it and make sure you surround yourself with people who affirm that um and who remind you why you're doing that yes great great advice and i, I have to ask this question and i also equally hate this question so yeah. we go from there but because you don't typically ask a man this question when he sits in a position of authority, but how do you balance work and family time? And, and also why aren't we asking other colleagues the same question? Well, we're not asking other colleagues the same question because it's uh, the, the, the man isn't the default parent most of the time. Right. Um, There's an assumption that, you know, the woman is the primary caregiver. I will say this for me, I am incredibly lucky. My partner, I say this all the time, that man is my competitive advantage. Full stop. He is supportive. He's a fantastic involved father. And I'm super lucky in that regard. And even being super lucky, kids are kids. They navigate to mom. Um, When people you know, people ask the standard question, like, how do you do it all? I don't, babe. Like, I don't, I don't do it all. I do some of the things, some of the time. There are some days where I'm not as present as I want to be. Um, there are some days where I am completely present and it's, you know, I pick my kids up for school and we go do something and hang out. And that is quite frankly, a time where I really could be in my office, knocking some stuff out. Um, so to answer that question, you know, I, I don't balance it all. Well, I've really learned to pick and choose what, um, has the best return on investment at the time. And I think, you know, as women, we have to be comfortable with that. And we're still good mothers and we're we're still good partners and we're still good daughters and we're still good employees. Um, If we, even if we aren't producing excellence in every single one of those realms simultaneously, Um, I think the value is in the effort you know, and I know I make a concerted effort. Um, Does everything get 100% all the time? Absolutely not. Sure. I mean, that would be perfection and no one is, right? So I think you answered that perfectly, even though we're not striving for perfection here. Yeah. Um, It's the reason I asked that is just because it's something that's been really weighing on me. I think in a lot of time, in a lot of times, a lot of ways, some women, you know, want children, some don't. Um, I think that there's a time that you, in your life where you start reflecting on what you want. And it's just interesting to see how other women have stepped into the pocket and seemingly made it work while mm. others are like, I just, I don't know if it's the right time in my career to start thinking about family and all of that. Yeah. I think it's an, it, an important question to ask. It's a really, you know, you, by nature of the society that we live in and the infrastructure that exists or the lack of infrastructure that exists for people who choose to be parents, um, it's difficult. And as a woman, your career is going to take a hit. And so it is a very deeply 
personal decision that is fully, absolutely that woman's business and that woman's business alone, right? Um, for me, I wanted to try to be a stay-at-home mom. Uh, so the first year of my daughter's life, that is what I did. I was a stay-at-home mom. It it was, SK, I tell you, it was the hardest job I ever had, period. Um, full stop, shout out to the stay-at-home moms. It was very difficult. Being a stay-at-home mom can be isolating. And there's also so much to do. And also time just kind of vanishes, right? I never realized how important having a schedule was. <laughs> it, it, it can be like very disorienting. And so, um, and going back to work was really a culture shock. You kind of, I kind of forgot how to interact with adults. And, and then of course, there's like loads of self-doubt because you've been out of the game for a while. And then you, there's the comparisons, right? You took a year out and, you know, you look at the people around you who are excelling and, and you wonder, you know, if you're behind. And so, again, it is a really, really big decision. And um, I think if you want, there is an opportunity to do both, but in making that choice, recognizing that you won't be perfect all the time and that is absolutely okay. Um, what matters particularly, you know, not to make this a parenting podcast, but, you know, I think I was amazed at how well parenting and your family and just the outcomes within the context of your family, how well it turns out when all you do is just really put in the effort. And that's really anyone can ask for. Exactly. No, that's awesome. So I have to ask this question because I think it's one of my favorite questions to ask. Yeah. But what has been the worst advice Ooh, my goodness. ever been given? Oh, wow. Oh, man. Oh, man. There's so many. Um, I, there, there's a couple of things. Um, the the work-life balance, well, separating work and life. Um, and, and the pressure to compartmentalize the two and all the books that tell you to do that. And it's for a lot of people, SK, that's just not possible. Um, either it's not possible because of the kind of career trajectory that they're on, or it's just not possible because of the type of personality that they have. And so for me, that was horrible advice for me. And I tried to do that. I tried to separate my my work and my personal time and completely compartmentalize those two things. But the fact of the matter is I like working, SK. Like I, I enjoy working. For better or for worse, I am kind of prone to workaholism, which I'm working on. But personally, the reason that was now I realize that was bad advice for me is because I kind of look at my work as my sport. I take pride in what I produce. And in some ways, my career has really contributed to my character development and vice versa. And so I haven't, you know, been too keen to follow that advice. Now, does that mean, you know, getting on the phone and, you know, sending emails during family time? No, but I no longer try to, you know, separate those two things. So that was one. That was bad advice. I think the other one 
that I received when I was, you know, doing my own entrepreneurship journey. And I hear this a lot. People say to entrepreneurs, yeah, the market is saturated with this and what you're doing, other people are doing it, but they're not you. You could do it differently. And I think that's horrible advice. Um, if a market is saturated, you, you may not want to enter that market. If you can't find a way to differentiate yourself, you may not want to enter that market. And I, that was bad advice. And I think the, the other bad advice I got, quite frankly, was really early in my career. And a woman gave me this advice, SK. She told me not to change my name, right? My last name. I had just gotten married and I had changed my maiden name, you know, all the jazz. I like I like the ring of my, my husband's last name. So I changed it and it was a particular client and she told me not to do that. No one's going to take you seriously. She actually, I signed a contract, some sort of document and I signed it with my marital name and she told me to change it. <laughs> she said, no, put your put your maiden name on here. No one's going to take you seriously. You're, you know, you know, you've established your, you're trying to establish yourself. And that was bad advice too. Um, and the reason I couched that as bad advice is because those are the moments when that would have been a moment when I was letting my work dictate, you know, my personal values and just how I wanted to live and interact with the people in my life who I love the most. And for me, that is just a non-negotiable. And so, um, that was very horrible advice too. And that is why I'm Kelly Clark to this day. Yeah, no, I love, I love that you stood your ground. I mean, that's tough, tough things to hear, but it's also, I feel like in a lot of ways, it kind of shapes who you are as a person. And it's almost kind of like, huh, I, I, I received that, but it doesn't mean I actually like took it to heart and I, I pivoted and did what I needed to do for myself. So good for yeah. you. Um, what advice would you give other like aspiring female leaders or founders that are listening today? So this is this is where I get a little controversial. I'm not going to lie. People ask, you know, I think those questions are important because women, women in general, and then, you know, when you have women of color, there are just so many different experiences. Right. And. I really challenge myself and other women to walk in the world as if those labels don't come with certain preconceived notions, certain stigmas, certain levels of marginalization. That does not mean that the marginalization does not exist. But I think in, for a woman, in order to maintain the mindset that you need to do this, you don't, it's not that you forget that you're a woman. It's that you lead with exactly who you are at your core, authentically, irrespective of your gender. I'm really big on energy and what that projects. And so I, I'll only talk about me personally. I am a woman. I am a black woman. There are definitely, there's lots of, can I curse on this podcast? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> okay. There's shit that comes with that, right? Like there's just, right. there's, there's shit that comes with that. And as a woman um, or anybody with a marginalized identity, the thing about having a marginalized identity is it wastes your time. And what I mean by that is, 
things take longer. You have to um, think about nuances that other folks don't necessarily consider. And so my advice for women is to consider those things, but don't let them be at the front of your mind. Because if they are at the front of your mind, they are going to slow you down. They are going to create even more anxiety. Um, they're going having the the how people view you, keeping how people view you front and center of your mind is allocating way too much power to a bunch of folks you don't even know. My advice to female founders or folks who are wanting to aspire to be female founders is to be who the hell you are. Like I know, and that sounds so woo woo and it sounds so cliche, but it's so true. I think we underestimate the energy and the respect that we can command when we make a decision to be exactly who we are and not look at our identities as some sort of um, demerit, right? Not looking at our identities as an impediment. Um, and I think when you have an, a marginalized identity, you put your flag in the ground and you say, this is me, this is who I am. If there's a problem, it is absolutely a personal problem. It is absolutely your problem and not mine. Then, you know, you really start to attract people who see who see your intellect, who see your value, who want to work with you because you're brilliant, um, not because you're a token. And so, yeah, I would I would tell women to, as much as you can sit down first and really think through who you are and what you want to accomplish and what you're willing to stand your ground on. What, what hold, what hills are you willing to die on? I would say those are that, those are the biggest things. And I also, I tell women, and this is what something I tell any founder, quite frankly, and it's going to sound so cliche, please read. And the reason I say that is the the amount of inputs that you have to take in in order to be effective is massive and so just continuing to educate yourself continuing to continuing to invest in your professional development is not about hoarding knowledge it's not about it's not about that it's about when you take in more perspectives it widens your point of view, right? And you become just so mentally nimble that quite frankly, you can't be ignored. So that that's what I say to women or anyone, quite frankly. Hell yeah, that is some great advice. I was over here like frantically taking notes and I'm like, oh wait, I'll just, I'll just play this back. It's fine uh, <laughs> and revisit later. But man, some, such great like nuggets of info. And so if y'all are listening, go ahead and put that back on uh rewind and listen again, because you just seriously just did in your truth and uh, very, very powerful uh, words that you just shared with us. So mm -hmm. how do you define success for yourself? Success to me is being able to use my time exactly how I want to use it. That is that that's one of the ways I define success. So that's one. I think I think it's probably another one. Impact. Um, it's definitely impact. I, let me go back to the time piece. So the people who know me best know that I'm obsessed with it. I am obsessed with time. SK. I hate wasting it. <laughs> um, I, 
I I'm constantly trying to find ways to save it. And that's because time really is a non-renewable resource. We cannot get it back. And to me, the the stamp of success is being in a position um, mentally, relationally, financially, where you have as you you are the one that has the most control over your time. Um, because again, you cannot get it back. And so being able to edit your life in a way that allows for you to have as much time as you can and to save time and to do what it whatever you want to do. So that's one. I think the other, um, the second part of that externally is just impact. Like, is is what I'm doing only helping me? If that is the case, that is not success to me. That does nothing for anyone other than me. And so I'm always really interested, whether it's um, a job or an engagement, like whatever, what's going to be the ROI, um, the return on impact. And so I would, I think those are the two ways that I define it. It used to be when I was younger, success was, you know, salary, um, title. And it's so wild just how you grow um, and evolve beyond that. Now it's about time and impact for me. Love that. So last but not least, what's next for you and app think? <laughs> that's, that's a really great question. What's next for AppThink is serving accelerators and incubators in nascent ecosystems. Um, and so we're really passionate about finding those accelerators that are on the tipping point of success, that are in ecosystems that are emerging or that are nascent and really want to supercharge the work that they're doing. We're really heavily targeting those to see if we can help, to see if we can even be helpful. Um, we're also figuring out a way to scale what we do, right? That's a big part of AppThink's mission. Um, so, you know, some of the best accelerators in the world, what we know is working with founders hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder, that is what gives the most impact, but that's not scalable. And so what we're figuring out at AppThink is how to make what we know works, doing that hand-to-hand combat with founders. How do we do that at scale without sacrificing quality? That is the big question that we're trying to answer as well. Um, what's next for me, continuing to learn and continuing continuing to figure out how to be a CEO. Um, this is something I certainly did not plan for, and it's been a ride of my life. I think I told you I'm a natural number two. That's my comfort zone. So what's next for me is um, developing more courage in general in that area. Um, and I think too, SK, I really want to take the things that I've been learning. There's certain things about running a company um, that you really only learn once you do it. And when you're surrounded by people who have done it and I've just learned so much. And so right now I'm trying to think of a way, you know, given my schedule, my availability on how to take everything that I've learned and throw it back, right? How can I take what I've learned and, and share this knowledge with other women who are running companies? Um, not necessarily tech companies, not necessarily high growth tech companies, um, small businesses, other women with side hustles. I just learned so much. And I really believe that 
knowledge is like money, right? It's only valuable when it circulates. And so I've been really spending some time, you know, thinking really deeply about what's going to be my contribution beyond making app things successful, you know, beyond my nine to five in in this area of entrepreneurship, what can I do to, to be helpful? And so I'm doing a lot of deep work on that and trying to figure out what that looks like. So I'll let you know when I do, but um, that's what's next for me and for AppThink. Yes. Well, I cannot wait to see what's officially on the horizon for, you know, it's big things and it's exciting to hear how AppThink is continuing to evolve and grow. So as we go into our next part of the episode, it's called the leading ladies we love rapid fire game. So get excited. First adjective is bold. Ooh, the woman that comes to mind is actually my aunt, Sonia Mitchell. She is a photographer. She makes documentaries. And she's quite frankly, one of the boldest folks that I know because she really does chase her dreams. Like she wanted to learn photography, she did it. She wanted to create a documentary, she did it. And it showed at Sidewalk, I think two years ago, two or three years ago, 2019, I think that was when, it was before the pandemic. Um, Absolutely the most bold person that I know. Next word is innovative. Innovative. Ooh, I, (laughs) this is gonna sound crazy. I would say my seven-year-old, my seven-year-old daughter, she, she created an ice cream stand last summer. Now, mind you, SK, this is a seven-year-old. At the time she was six and um, she wanted to create her own business, right? monkey see monkey do i mean she wanted to create her own business and i was so incredibly proud of her and it just goes to show you know our kids are watching the young people in our lives are watching right and so um i was like all right what kind of business do you want to start and she said you know i think i want to well it's summer and uh fourth of july is this weekend and that's when our community is really busy i think i'm gonna do an ice cream stand and so basically i just watched this this six-year-old you know, assess a market. That's effectively what she did. She assessed a market and a need. She's like, it's hot. There's going to be lots of people around. I'll sell ice cream. And I just thought, you know, for a six-year-old mind, that was just a really interesting demonstration of just being innovative. So I would definitely say Avery. Oh, I love that. Yes, I love it. Next word is resourceful. Resourceful. I'm going to, I'm going to cheat here. Um, I'm going to say any woman who is working in a small to medium-sized nonprofit organization, full stop. And I'll also say that if you are a woman who is working in a small or medium-sized nonprofit, I would encourage you to consider being a founder. I would encourage you to look around you to see what problems exist in the industry because the number one thing a founder needs is to be resourceful and if you are working in a small medium-sized nonprofit, you are probably one of the most resourceful resourceful people on the planet um from you know lack of funds ambiguity this is this would be right up your alley so and I, i just have a special place in my heart for folks who are on the ground doing that work so definitely quite frankly any woman who is working in a small to medium sized nonprofit organization period next word is strategic Ooh, 
was strategic. I would have to say my friend, uh, Jacqueline Maxwell Hudson. She's probably the most strategic person I know. She um, is just fantastic at just getting the lay of the land, connecting the dots, um, a powerhouse at creating partnerships. It would definitely be Jacqueline. Shout out to Jacqueline. Last word is strong. My mama. <laughs> my mama. Um, definitely my mom. My mom, I mentioned she's a nurse, um, put three kids through school. She is still works. She's retired, but she, you know, she retired right before COVID. There was a nurse shortage. She went back to work during COVID. Um, and she's still taking care of patients to this day. She she gets up and, you know, goes out and does what she loves every day. And also, you know, she raised me, teenage me. Um, that was not easy. So definitely my mom. I love that. Well, that ends the Leading Ladies We Love rapid fire game. Before we head out, I have to ask, you know, what is your shameless plug? Our friends who are listening want to get to connect with you. What, how can they do that? Yeah, you can find me all over LinkedIn. So just just put in there Kelly Clark. I may come up as Kelly C. Um, that's where I am. That's quite frankly, um, the easiest place to find me on social media. Um, if you want to learn more about AppThink, you can go to www.appthink.io. And also, um, just also same shameless plug for Innovation Depot. We're leading their Voltage cohort. Uh, we are the training providers for their founders and they'll have an, they do a cohort every quarter. So if you have an idea, um, and you have that itch to be an entrepreneur, go check them out. Go to their website, innovationpeople.org, and you can read all about it there. And if you apply and get in, we'll probably meet and have a chance to work together. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for joining us today. I love your energy, your insight, your passion for what you do. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I feel like now I have a badge of honor. I was on Ladies Who Lead, so I'm I'm good. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ladies Who Lead podcast. Looking for another way to engage with the Ladies Who Lead podcast? Check out our Instagrams and our show notes at the Ladies Who Lead. And don't forget to check out our website www.theladieswholead.com. Until next time, I'm SK Vaughn.